And we're live. The Paranormal Dash Spirits. I got corrected. <laughs> the place we come to get our booze on. We talk about the booze, the things that go bump in the night. And I get to do that with all my booze. And tonight is a very special night because I got an extra boo in the house tonight. Yay! Yay! Yay. I am Mike Black. To my left is my lovely and delicious wife, Alyssa Black. I'm delicious again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks. Delin, what adjective would you prefer? Mm-hmm. Spicy. <laughs> no, we don't like that one. <laughs> Just to the left of Alyssa is sitting the spicy Delin. And I'm using my radio voice. Yeah, you <laughs> the get the spicy Delin. The pukey DJ voice. <laughs> You're right. And across the table is my best friend, sidekick, confidant. Mm. Lovely, the, the lovely and talented. We're getting deep with the confidant today. <laughs> John Burkett. Oh, mm. so tonight we have a story that ended up being a movie in 1983 called the 80. Well, actually, it was released in 82, but in the U.S. it was 83. Oh, so I think they released it in like Europe or something, or the U.K. probably uh, somewhere besides don't, here. But don't go looking in 82. for it. Because mm, you can't stream it. You can't stream you it. You can buy the DVD. You can buy the Blu-ray on uh, Amazon. Can I know I that because I looked. <laughs> After we hunted and hunted and hunted and hunted and couldn't find it anywhere to stream. But a movie called The Entity. And it's about a haunting that took place in um, in and around 1974 uh, out in California. There was a lot of that going around in the early 70s. It, there was. Well, in... <laughs> We actually, I actually touch what, them. Demons? Why? <laughs> you got the, the Amityvilles. You got the Warrens going around and making up demons everywhere. <laughs> making um, up demons. <laughs> all the famous stuff happened well, yeah, in the seventies. <laughs> well, he it, was it, it a was. demonologist. Come on, that was big. There was back some then, legitimacy though. there, right? It was. It was big back then. <laughs> so anyway, that's what we're going to talk about later tonight. But first, let me tell you about all the places you can find us. Uh, you can find us at paranormal-spirits.com. That's the landing site. Spurts. <laughs> I'm going to spurt your eyeballs out. <laughs> you with your spurts. You just have to do that. Because oh, it, it just, sounds like you oh, say. me. I don't know why. It always comes out in spurts. Paranormal-spirits.com. <laughs> and like I say, that is the place where you can go to get to all of our places and we have a YouTube channel, which is 3B Paranormal Spirits. Please subscribe. Uh, it helps us out. It feeds the YouTube monsters. And we have Instagram. Mm. We have X, which mm. used to be Twitter. And we also have TikTok. And you can find those at paranormal underscore dash, spelled out D-A-S-H, underscore Spirits. What are you doing? I was trying to drink water, but I've got so much in front of me right now. But hey, look, swag store. Hey, swag store. Get mm-hmm. you, you can get that boozy. if you go to paranormal-spirits.com. There's a link to our <laughs> um, swag store, uh, Boozy's Boutique, <laughs> and you can pick up all your boozy swag there. We have cups. We have Racerback tees that John and I wore. Yeah. <laughs> so. Other podcast. Oh yeah, <laughs> John, you look amazing in your no, I, in your racer bag. I think you were outstanding. Um, I wore mine to the workout yesterday. Oh, you did? I sure did. Yeah. 
So we got that there. Vine We've got Boozy's Vine sitting on Mara's bed, but she hadn't been home from college yet to come <laughs> get it. We got Boozy's koozies. We've got T-shirts. We've got water bottles. It's all not, the things. Yeah, it's pretty much all the things. There's not a lot that you can't find there. Uh, all the stuff that you would normally see swag. Did you get the um, those ladies' drawers? You're going. I didn't get that. Are we going to call them koozie covers? <laughs> I'm done. The lens <laughs> over there. Oh my god! What the hell did I sign up for? I am so out. <laughs> I think. Go ahead. Can't say. You can't say that. I'll make sure I cut it out. I'll, I'll put the pazuzu over your mouth when you said that. So you can't say that. Know. It's kind of tacky. I don't know if you can or not. We're not monetized yet because not enough people have subscribed. Did I mention that we need you to subscribe to our yeah, our YouTube channel? Can't get can't get demonetized <laughs> if we don't have if we're not monetized. You're right. We can say this all, all kinds of crazy stuff. It's all coming out of our back pocket. No one else is yet, so we can say what we want. We can say right? all the words you can't. Say That's on right. That's right. We can. So but let's, what I would <laughs> love is that if people keep subscribing, then we can get. Free tequila, like what's right there. Oh yeah, I know. Mm. So let's talk, talk about, about today's. We talked about. We like watches too. If anybody wants, to <laughs> yeah, you know, they channels. could have their own podcast on oh. how watches. We actually could. Um, so let's talk about the the spirits part of our show spirits. that we enjoy, probably as good as any other part of it, and that's the the B O Z E John. Take us away. Tell us what about what we're drinking. Delin so graciously found yeah, for us. Delin brought this a, in. She found a unicorn. In the bigger Metroplex than what we have here in Deep East-ish. Fortaleza. I'm so excited. The Blanco, which I've never tried. You never see it in a store. Mm-mm. No, it's, as soon as it comes in, it's gone. It's I mean, gone. Like Usually they're... The guy at Total kind of implied that his. Uh, You're not special enough to buy that. Well, no, I don't us. think he meant that. Like, if, if we lived up there and we're there all the time, we probably would be okay with setting aside a bottle. It's kind of like Rolex. Well, it's like when I bought that, the guy was like, it's expensive. Go ahead and lean in a little bit to your mic. Oh, a little bit more? Yeah, that's perfect oh, okay. right there. Thanks. Can you hear yourself better now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I apologize. That's where you want to be. But when I went to purchase it, he was like, you know, it's going to be a little bit expensive. <laughs> I was like, that's okay. She goes, I'm rich, bitch. <laughs> well, I mean, well, I was dressed very similarly. <laughs> I'm balling. It doesn't bother me. So, I'm using my last dollar. on this. <laughs> What is the price point on this? Well, it depends. So when you look online, it says anywhere between like 50, 60. Not that one. Mm-mm. No, that one wasn't a nice one twenty nine ninety nine. Jesus. But here's the I don't problem. Think, I don't think Jesus had anything to do with that. I think that was all marketing. It's just very much like y'all's Rolexes. It's you know what I mean? Markup. When you can find it from a dealer, it's fine. But when you got to buy it on the markup for this in the smaller places because you can't find it. So I told Mike, I said, I told her, I said, go ahead and get it because we can't find it. We went to how many turtle wines? Three. Turtle wine. Turtle wine. It did sound like turtle. (laughs) Total wines. I haven't even had any alcohol either. And um, maybe you should. (laughs) Maybe none of them around here have it. Mm -hmm. And so I have seen it on the shelf at Fat Dogs True before. Really? Like last year or something. I didn't know what I was before it was a thing. Yeah, and it was I think probably about seventy, seventy five dollars. But so I'm a little embarrassed at what I had to pay up price. But here's the thing. 
you're gonna buy that you know it's just like class a how we used to buy that one liter for 120 and now it's 160 so it's all about markup and what tastes good and so i was like hey you know what we found it let's try it i'm excited john and i have actually seen the class a at at what 180 almost 170 180 i think it is right now down there Mm -hmm. at our local purveyor of fine spirits (laughs) (laughs) you know i haven't tried coffee city for fortaleza You know, I've gotten to, what's the one uh, across the street from uh, Kilos? Kilos. That's where I got a bottle of uh, Henry McKenna 10 year bottled in bond, which is, you never see it. That's a unicorn bourbon, and I got it there. Yeah. Maybe it's going to be one of those things. But I figure, hey, she found it. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. Let's do it. I am so excited for it. Tell us about the bottle, sir. What's this pina you keep talking about? Oh, so, the, that looks like a pine the cone. Pina? That's the, the center core, of the agave. Yeah, after they knock the leaves off. The of spiky it. thing. Have you noticed it. that in all of our like tequila bottles, it's usually the the cork. It's some it's something mm-hmm. different, or, and sometimes it's not cork. Like Mahinta is glass, right? Tesoro, if you get the, etched glass, no etched less. glass. Yes, Tesoro, the Blanco is your normal. I think it's, it's a wooden, just a wooden. But if you get the Reposado, it looks like the wheel that they and it's stone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, of know. course, Classe in itself is its own just well, special bottle. Bell. But you have the bell at the top, mm-hmm. and now Fortaleza has the pina. This is stone crushed as well, according to. Yeah. Oh. Is well, the is the lid different depending on Blanco versus Reposado? I don't think or? so. Lid, the cork. <laughs> it might be a different stopper. Uh-huh. A yeah. different color. <laughs> stopper. What's what's the brand? It's a Ron White the comedian. It's a celebrity tequila, but it's supposed to be fairly decent. And the whole bottle looks like a pina. Oh, I hadn't seen oh. that one. Oh, that's cool. But then again, you're paying for the celebrity name, and you're paying for the the bottle. And that a lot of these, you do pay for the bottle. Yeah. You know, hand blown in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm excited okay. to try so, it. Let's try this. Let's. Well, it smells like agave to be. Can you smell right it? Up Can front. you smell the? Are you a professional agave smeller or no tequila? Y'all have one amateur amongst the three professionals. <laughs> I'm just here for the. Drink. What does it say about it? Does it say anything about the notes? It says aromas of citrus and rich cooked agave fill your nose in this unique and very special Blanco tequila. Also present, butter, olive, earth, black pepper, and deep inviting vegetal complexity. <laughs> you weren't, were you going to say exactly that? The vegetal the, complexity? <laughs> it's like I wrote it. You know? No. I, I what I would say is. I got is, olive, though. I get. Um, butter. No. I get the agave. Definitely yeah. that. And I smell I so. jalapeno. I smell olive. But maybe it's because you said it. You smell it mm-hmm. at all? What okay. do you smell? Just agave. Just tequila loving. Yes. Cilantro. 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 All right. <laughs> I just, I shoot it. Mmm. <laughs> That's good. That is quite mm. delicious. But isn't it a nod to the bartender, like when they pour you, like to hit the table? Did I make that up? No, I don't know. Mm. That's a good question. I just knew that if you wanted to be cool in college, you had to hit the table first. Well, you do it uh, to make eye contact too. At the sushi place or whatever to make the sake bomb, you know, to put the the shot of sake on top of the beer with chopsticks, so smack the table to make it fall in. You know, I. Well, yeah. so obviously, I'm not as it? cultured as you are because I've never seen that happen. I don't know. Do you like it? 
It's okay. I like that. I don't know if it's my favorite. Mm. See, I more taste the (laughs) vegetal complexity than smell it. Smell it just smells like agave, but I do. There is something, but I can't put my finger on it. I will say, it is not as sweet. Mm-mm. As Mm-mm. some of the other ones that we've had, I no. like that. That is not as sweet. I know. Yeah, Me he too. doesn't like sweet. Maybe that's where I come in. It's like, oh, that was nice. I know. And yeah. this is sharper. It is sharper. It dry, is a little. Dry. It's dry. Mm-hmm. Get a little more of the ethanol. Mm-hmm. This is good. Mm-hmm. I don't get any ethanol. Now. You don't at all. I don't either. Trust me, I know ethanol tequila. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. You drink. <laughs> you can drink lighter fluid with your cabrito. <laughs> I knew he was gonna get his it's nowhere near okay. as good as this. I, okay, it's no centenario, but I like the centenario. Oh, you know? oh my god, no, that was horrible. That was okay. I hated that. <laughs> but that's like you like the terramana, and yeah. I didn't. You know, talk about vegetal. Oh, I know. No, talk about grass. The one he just made me try, band aid. Oh, oh. <laughs> I had to try mezcal. Oh, I didn't love it. Mezcal that is an mezcal acquired that taste I, that I gave you. That, <laughs> and yours is a hoven. It actually was okay. It wasn't nearly as smoky as that stuff they give us in San Antonio. To me, it tastes like a diesel fuel. Mezcal. To me, it tastes like a charcoal briquette. But <laughs> yeah, it's pretty smoky. Well, she is, got band aids though, and I was like, well, "That's more like scotch." No, you give give her that uh, the lagavulin, and you'll taste. Oh yeah, we should oh, yeah. give you some lagavulin before you leave. Okay. Sorry. And so we've we've boozed it up. Tell us about our demons. So I want to know where everybody's at. Delian's like, yeah, it's all right. It's and okay. Alyssa is. I like it. Oh yeah, me too. John, oh, I can give that a yeah. That's. I, I'm thumbs up on this. This is good stuff. I give it a five out of five. Probably that's mm-hmm. pretty good compared mm-hmm. to Mahinta. G four. Mm, oh. Man, <laughs> G four. This is it's I like G four better. Same. What about Ocho? I like Ocho better than this. Really? Yeah, it's close though. It's real close to Ocho. You know why I like G four better? To me, G four is slightly sweeter than this, and I like mm-hmm. it better. It doesn't have it. I will agree. It doesn't like warm you down here. It's not like that kind of ethanol, but it's I don't know. In the head, it's a little bit yeah, drier, I'm, like you said, mm-hmm. dry. All right. So we all. Except for Dylan. Dylan's like, yeah, it's okay. That's okay. Yeah. You two are thumbs up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thumbs now, up. Well, are we throwing in for the MSRP or for what? Oh, no, for no. MSRP. MSRP, it's good. For what we paid for it, it's way overpriced. I'm going to go, if we go what we paid for it compared to Tequila Ocho, Tequila Ocho all day long. Because I don't think there's enough of a difference I for me. Lalo at $40. Well, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Agreed. All right. So we like it as a general. And as a standard, it doesn't have as cool of a bottle as Class A if I'm going to spend that kind of money. Mm. Yeah, but it tastes a lot better. I mean, it does taste It does. It doesn't have the fake taste. You're right. I'm just saying. All right. So our story tonight. It's It's got the vanilla additive ish. Our story tonight starts in the summer of 1974. You got. 69? No, (laughs) 1974. Two paranormal investigators. Now that's going to be stuck in my head. Sorry. Thanks. Sorry. <laughs> Two paranormal investigators, uh, UCLA students, Barry Taff and Carrie Gaynor. They were approached in the bookstore by a woman who had overheard their conversation they were having about the supernatural. And she says, hey, I've got this friend and this friend needs your help. And they're like, 
what are you talking about? And they're like, she said, my friend is Doris Bither. Um, she's a single middle-aged uh, mother of four kids. And Doris had claimed that her and her family were having paranormal activity in her Culver City home. And my page is jumping all over the place, so I'm going to have to... So this is the Los Angeles, greater Los Angeles metropolitan area. Yeah. It's Culver City. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't know that I much didn't about... I didn't Thank you for I that. I didn't look at the map, but I it trust is, you. It is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's in <laughs> Completely LA. trust it's, you. Yeah, there's LA County or Ventura County, but it's the okay. same. It's the LA area. All I know about Culver's is the restaurant. Culver's Butter Burgers. <laughs> That's a really oh my good God. All right. So <laughs> she's been having all this activity in her home uh, for months at this point. Mm-hmm. She's desperate for help. She can't go and seek traditional help because it's like, who the hell's going to believe her? You know, I've got ghosts. I've got demons or whatever. They're going to think she's nuts. And uh, according to Doris, uh, the attack started a few months earlier. And they included, among other things, objects moving on their own, random and inexplicable foul odors in the house, unusual noises with no point of origin, um, all your typical haunting type stuff. According to Doris, her and her three sons, quote, claim to have seen semi-transparent apparitions of roughly human shape and size in their home, end quote. They had experienced multiple physical assaults that were increasing in frequency and intensity as time went on. Now, all of these things were like totally piqued the interest of these paranormal investigators. They're like, okay, we're down, but we got to get permission from the school to, you know, so that we can go out there and, and bar, investigate bar officially. The equipment, I guess. Well, you know, officially investigate because they were uh, actually. Uh, they were both enrolled at UCLA and they were part of the parapsychology lab. They have a parapsychology lab at they sure UCLA mm-hmm. in 1974. Yes. So, Barry... The Warrens went there. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, right. So That's Barry far away from New England. <laughs> so, Barry Taft was enrolled at UCLA, and he was studying uh, psychopsychology, which is a field of study that focuses on the mind and body connection. Uh, when he wasn't studying or taking classes, worked as an assistant at UCLA parapsychology lab, it was part of UCL, which is part of UCLA's larger neuropsychology program. Okay, did you get all that? All Lots the psychology going okay. on there. Uh, the psychology department was headed by a Dr. Thelma Moss at the time, and uh, so throughout the '60s and '70s, this was, and you were talking about there was lots of ghosts and hauntings and stuff back then, but this was a time that there was lots of this new age religion movement that was going on uh people were experimenting with the occult uh witchcraft uh, anton levey yeah i mean it, everybody got into something back then so it caused these programs to develop in the universities and of course uh these were pretty much short-lived academic programs like the one at ucla and they were built around the scientific or pseudoscientific study of paranormal phenomena now barry as a little kid had started experiencing things um he had psychic experiences he had precognition he had out-of-body experiences and he thought that everybody had these he said this was just like it was so common with him that he thought well 
you know, everybody has this, right? You know, when you say precognition, remind me, because all I can think of is Minority Report with the precogs. Okay, so that's exactly what it is. Uh, cognition is to know something. So if you have precognition, you know it ahead of time. Okay, so precognition. He, like a, okay, like Nicholas Cage at the movie he could, Knowing. He could see the future. I just say okay. Okay, so he couldn't understand why other people couldn't understand what he felt and what he saw. So it's like he, Final Destination stuff. Yeah, kind of. Kind of take him with you to buy yeah. lottery ticket stuff. No yeah. doubt. So anyway, he got into trouble because he would talk openly about it, and it kind of freaked people out, and they treated him differently because of it. Well, when he was a teenager, Barry found out that UCLA had this program for parapsychology, and he went and volunteered for uh, the study they were having on psychic phenomenon, and. According to him, the experiment included um, Dr. Moss throwing her set of keys to Barry. And Dr. Moss later became his boss, but threw the keys to him and said, okay, kid, tell me about these keys. And this is called psychometry when you can touch Mm -hmm. something and glean from it. Oh, there was, you know, this here and that there, whatever. So she gave him the keys. So Barry starts rattling off all this stuff. And he says, well, he said... He told her her husband, her, actually, it was her deceased husband's name. Hmm, he, he was able to pick that up from the keys. Now, let's be honest. He could have done enough research and figured out. He couldn't Google it in 1930. Yeah, no, he couldn't Google it. But, I mean, there were other ways to find out stuff. So, you know, we survived before Google. So, you know, we learned <laughs> yes, before but, Google. But it would be very difficult for him to do so. It would have been difficult for him to do so. Much more than it would now. And he also... Um, he said that uh, he told her about her best friend, uh, curly blonde hair, and t- so her name was Shelly. Well, Dr. Moss's best friend was Shelly Winters. Oh. So if anybody knows Shelly Winters that's old like Don and I, then you know Shelly Winters had blonde hair and curly and, you know. So anyway, so he goes, okay, kid, you're you're the real deal. Um. And he went on to, uh, it kind of sparked his interest at that time, even more so in the paranormal. So after he enrolls at UCLA, uh, by the time he got out of school, he was, uh, lobbied for a position as a research assistant and got it. Um, of course, probably knowing Dr. Moss, you know, probably didn't hurt his chances of getting that. But anyway, he got accepted as a part-time lab assistant. And he later claimed during an interview that uh, he spent most of his time in the field conducting research and rather than in the lab. And that's where he met Kerry Gaynor. Kerry Gaynor was an undergraduate philosophy student, and Kerry had also developed a strong interest in the supernatural, so they kind of teamed up together. So once they get permission, Barry and Kerry head out to Culver City, and this the investigation would ensue at that time and last for almost 10 weeks. And it became one of the most well-known and most controversial poltergeist cases ever. Uh, and I would add that it's probably one of the most well-documented. Just so you, I did look it up. It's in L.A. County. Oh, okay. Yeah. Thank you, John. <laughs> for, yeah. Just in case you thought it was Ventura, it's actually yeah. L.A. For, for, former for, home of Metro Golden Mayor's Studio, uh, Hughes oh. Aircraft. You know Howard Hughes? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sure yeah. So. so all of 
All of you have been waiting for that information. <laughs> yes. John looked it up and the town it is motto definitely. is the heart of Screenland. Imagine that. <laughs> okay, so they get out there. Do you want some more? And um, okay. they got permission. They arranged to go to Doris's house and to conduct their preliminary interview. Uh, when they pulled up at Doris's house, uh, this was on the evening of August 22nd, 1974. They were shocked. Said this was more of a shack than a house. It had been condemned twice by the city. Uh, no one should have been living there. And since the house was in such bad shape, Barry and Carrie kind of got like vibes from it. You know, just when they pulled up. Because I mean, you pull up in front of those houses. Alyssa does this all the time. We drive haunted. down the <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> we'll drive down the road and she'll see a house go haunted. You know, that house on it. She can just tell by looking at it. It's amazing. I don't know if she does it. But <laughs> anyway. You don't trust into my... I, I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying. Just because it looks just because it looks like a haunted house doesn't mean it's haunted. And just because it doesn't look haunted doesn't mean... Think about that, that one you were telling me about here that's like $800,000 property. Oh, yeah. Haunted yeah. Damn near a million dollars for this <clears throat> nice property. Newer I, house. Built newer in house. The 80s, right? And it's haunted. I agreed. I it's, understand. Yeah. However, there are just some that you're like, mm, yeah, yeah. it's okay, haunted. You, you don't know why I think it's haunted? It's because nobody's dumb enough to go over there and fix it because it's haunted. Yeah, that may be. Yes. Yeah, it's not lit. No, no. Look at Hill House, where we so, went. It didn't look on it. No. No. So. Barry and Carrie, they sit down with Doris. Except and for the blue porch lights and stuff. Yeah. And she's, she's very anxious. Carrie? Um, Carrie's anxious? Barry and Carrie sat down with Doris, who is very anxious. Okay. Okay. Keep up. Come on. There's lots of names that you've thrown out, so I'm trying to keep it. And they all okay. rhyme. Well, I know. Barry and Carrie Doris. should be twins. Okay. Barry, Carrie, and Doris. And Thelma. Okay, you got it? Yes, got she's, it. She's got visuals for you here. <laughs> okay. So, Barry, Carrie, and Doris all sat down. Doris is nervous mm. because she is worried about... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Delenn. I appreciate that. Delenn's pointing out the, the uh, Glen Karen. Doris no, here is anxious. Not the Glen Karen. It's a Doris tonight. <laughs> she's drinking out the Doris. Uh, and so, she's kind of evasive and somewhat cryptic about her background to the point that she refuses to even tell him her age. And I kind of get it because it's like, you know. It's rude to ask a lady. It is. Okay. But it's kind of like, okay, I don't want to tell you about all my background and my horrible childhood. Just fix my house, you know. Fix this thing that's running around and doing bad stuff to us. But they were able, without questioning and digging, they were able to tell that she was, she was very poor. She didn't have a lot of money. Uh, they did glean that she had an unstable employment history for quite a while. She had four children, uh, and at that time, three boys living with her, 10, 13, and 16. And so they were all living in this house. Braddock Street was uh, the street that they lived on. She also had a preteen daughter who was living somewhere else uh, at the time of the investigation. No one ever mentioned where she was living or what that situation was so i don't know she ain't living with the haints that's what she thought no right she got out she did they also figured out that she's a heavy daily drinker mm. Mm. <clears throat> oh, but door door 
Yeah, she likes the beer. Well. Yeah, she was a heavy beer drinker. And so let me go ahead and point out one of the most lightweight. Yeah, right. And here we are slugging back tequila. <laughs> she needed a boozy koozie. <laughs> she did. <laughs> so one of the most heavily criticized parts of this whole case is Barry and Carrie failed to collect any personal or biographical information on Doris. The reason being was they felt like that if they pressed her, that she would just, she's already freaking out because, you know, she spooked. These people are showing up at her house and all that. And so she wants to, I could hear that. I did too. There's Doris like, back. Sorry. Wow. Doris so, has got another bear. Here's one for Doris. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. So anyway, uh, so they didn't want to press her about that, and they were afraid that she'd run them off. And so anyway, there was a writer, Benjamin Radford. Uh, he's also an investigator and skeptic. Uh, he authored, co-authored, uh, and contributed to over uh, 20 books and written thousands of articles and columns on a wide variety of topics, including unexplained mysteries and urban legends and the paranormal. And he wrote where... A trained psychologist or social worker might have seen a troubled woman needing help. Barry and Carrie just saw a golden opportunity to research a real haunting. Is their last name Warren? I'm sorry, what? Benjamin Radford? No, no. Barry and Carrie. <laughs> no. Barry Taft. Carrie Gaynor. They saw an opportunity. Yeah. So, Barry would explain the lack of information, a simple matter of protecting the case. And he didn't want to scare doors off. And he said, you can... You can only push so hard, you know, before people just go, okay, that's enough. I'm not telling you anything. And basically, the, you know, she was just a private woman, um, and they weren't trying to push the boundaries on this. The um, In the years since the investigation, so this is after the fact, uh, they have found out some more information about Doris and... Um, something that talks about a little bit about the the state of her mind at the time of the investigation. Most of that information, uh, Barry Taff uh, got from Brian Harris, who was Doris's oldest son. And Taff points out that um, <laughs> Barry also points... <laughs> Barry, we have Brian over here. That Brian also struggled with addiction, and he would often contradict himself uh, during the interview about what he knew about Doris his mom his mom right so doris was born in illinois 1940 very dysfunctional family um she had a hard life growing up as a teenager started experimenting with drugs and alcohol to escape the abuse of her family and in her home life and she was generally just a rebellious teenager her parents ended up ended up kicking her out of the house when she was just a kid um, forced to fend for herself. So you can see how she ended up where she was. And um, anyway, she ended up in Santa Monica and then before moving to, to Culver City with the, the kids. And Doris and Brian also said that Doris had experienced some of the psychokinetic events and an occasional apparition had been seen before they moved to Culver City. So this is this may be something that had been following her. her. Attached to her. Attached to her and following her all along. So, anyway. Um, so, for the time being, they just stuck to the questions about the haunting 
uh, Barry and Carrie did. And they focused. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Delenn. Barry and Carrie were focused on the the haunting activity and the paranormal activity in the home. And um, so after... They get to talk, and Doris expounds on the experience that they had already had learned about from their friend at the bookstore, and she tells them one of the worst aspects of the haunting, and this is where we get the trigger warning. Mm. So, if you are bothered by the term that sounds like grape, uh, struggle snuggle, yeah, struggle snuggle, or um, sexual assault. If you're if you're triggered by that, then this is where you need to just skip over the the next few minutes because uh, we deal with that. And so, Doris believed on more than one occasion she had been sexually assaulted by an unseen entity, both while she was alone in the house and while her children were at home. Mm-mm. She told them. Quote, the two smaller ones, referring to the to these apparitions, held me down and a big one attacked me, end quote. So she could feel like three apparitions, like three. Yeah, two little bitty ones. She could see them, <gasps> little dark entities, and they came up and they grabbed her and they held her down. Minions. Yeah, imps, whatever. While the big one hurt her. While the... Big one sexually assaulted her while he while he graped her. Oh yeah, so I remember that. So Barbara Hershey plays the okay. Barbara Hershey plays a version of Doris. Ron Silver mm-hmm. is the yeah. Okay. Oh, I did not realize that she could see them. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I have seen this film. So at some point, at this point, Barry and Carrie. The two paranormal investigators from UCLA, Barry and Carrie. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, at this point, they think that she's experiencing some kind of symptoms of mental illness. So they refer to they refer her to the psychiatric clinic of the UCLA neuropsychiatry department, and they left, assuming that would be their last interaction with her. That's sad. So, but they did, I mean, they did turn her on to the psychiatry department at UCLA and said, here, we, you know, and uh, in the interview, um, Barry even says, he says, oh my God, he said he rolled his eyes and put his hands in his, or his head in his hands. And he looked at Carrie and goes, she's, she's psychotic. You know, I mean, that was his quote. He said, she's psychotic. Barry's the... The medium or the precog, the precog, yeah. And he thought she's crazy. He said, she's, "Well, I mean, I get it. Crazy. You say that, probably no one's ever said that to him. They right. probably never I mean, heard he that. And she's to, an addict. To, oh, you're saying he should so have you, the cognition ability. Okay, to so see. in all fairness, you know, you're telling me that you know anybody that has any kind of psychic ability, you can tell that what they should know or what they can feel or what they can see. I'm just saying Cindy Cazo would have known what was going on oh, right Lord. away. I don't even know who that is. But I... <sighs> that's hot psychic. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's she the one that anything. he's got like a crush on. Mm. She can do anything. Well, I will say though, then you add the addiction part into it. Mm-hmm. And so I could see how it would I, lend would a little think? further. Yeah, I understand. What do you think? I think she was crazy. 
It lends a little bit Flat further to the site. She crazy. Also, 1974. Okay. Limi- people in liminal mm-hmm. situations and states like that are often uh, targets of malicious entities. So true, true, but but they come out there and all they've got to go on is her word at this point. Yeah. So they're I get like, she's crazy. Right. You okay. know. So she goes to the lab. No, she doesn't. She doesn't go to they the... They didn't stick around in the house. No, they just cameras, left. some recorders. No, they left. Ten days later, Barry got a phone call from Doris claiming that since the two men had visited, the paranormal activity at the house had gotten even worse and was now being experienced by her friends and her neighbors. Now, when she mentioned that there were other witnesses outside of the house, their ears kind of perked up and they go, oh, okay, well, you know... It's not that far out there. Let's go back out. Let's let's have another talk with her. How mad I would be if somebody was disrupting the house next door and it affected me. Yeah. I think it's they while they were visiting in the house. But uh, still. At this point. I see. Yeah. But still. Yeah. That, yeah, that would be bad. <laughs> it's not that far at all. It's like a 20-minute drive from UCLA. So they get back out there. Okay. And they walk in the house and they are immediately hit with this and Barry used the word caustic smell. It said it smelled like rotting, rotting flesh, uh, decomposing organic matter, hmm. and had this sour, nauseating smell. Like vegetal? Was it, is it vegetal <laughs> notes? Yeah, I don't think it was vegetal. Um, so anyway, and as the three of them are standing in the kitchen, all of a sudden, the cupboard... Mm-mm. On the bottom in the kitchen flies open and he describes it as a ballistic arc. This is Barry. Ballistic? I love he's a, Barry's he's a scientist. descriptions. I mean, he's a scientist. He calls it a ballistic arc. As the three of them are standing there in a ballistic arc, a frying a heavy frying pan. Now this is nineteen seventy four, so probably it's not you know, some Teflon coated aluminum thing. It's probably like a, a Dutch cast oven. iron like a cast, cast iron, iron. right? Yeah. Big old cast iron skillet Whoosh! flies in the ballistic arc across the kitchen at them. So like, yeah, like arc, not slides out. It arcs, yeah. ballistic arc. Okay, a mortar shell. Yeah. So, of course, the very first thing that Barry and Carrie do, they go look for the springs, the wires, or the kid that's hiding in the cupboard who threw the mm-hmm. the skit. There's nobody there. No one, no wires, no springs, nothing that caused this skillet to fly across the, the kitchen at him. So it was at this point that uh, Carrie said, you know, he said, uh, considering this, you know, what we're seeing here, maybe we should set up and do an investigation <laughs> after all. So, you know. Your okay. word wasn't good enough. However, the flying skillet. We're here. Okay, now I want to I want to remind you something though. Remember the first time they met, she said that these into this entity had struggle snuggled with her. Mm-hmm. So this woman has been sexually assaulted multiple times by this thing, and nobody believes her, and everybody thinks she's crazy. Mm-hmm. You imagine how she felt in that moment. How vindicated she must have felt. Right. You know, one, thank God somebody believes me. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, obviously something happened. These two guys are standing here and the skillet flies out, right? Okay. So, anyway, they set up and they start doing an investigation. 
um, as they discover the haunting actually began, uh, like I said, a few months earlier before they moved in uh, to Braddock Street. And it, when they moved into Braddock Street, it started with this inescapable feeling of being watched. Something was just peeking around the corner at them, and you know they got that feeling that you know, you know, when somebody's watching you. <laughs> so that's how it started, somebody's and then watching me, <laughs> right? Uh, so objects started moving by themselves. A lamp flew across the room at one point. Uh, uh, a candelabrum was thrown at one oh, point. What? Candelabra? Candelabrum. It's candelabra. What'd I say? Candelabrum. Maybe oh, okay. what the plural is. No. Uh, it was wrong. one. I, I misspoke. I said it wrong. Thank you for correcting me. I was with you. I was still visualizing. <laughs> I don't know. I put the M on there for effect. Okay? So, uh, obviously, I need some more tequila. John, would you be so kind? Thank you. Um so this is all happening. Things, this I'm is thinking. what they catch on. Do they, they have is, recordings? This is, mm-hmm. this is happening when she first moves in. She is experiencing these things, and she's telling them about this. <clears throat> so, and up until that point, this is history for when they moved into the house. So okay. she hadn't experienced anything violent yet. But then one evening a few weeks later, uh, that's when she was sexually assaulted by the entity in her bedroom. At this time, has anything like this been reported or, like, a sexual assault from a demon? Like, has this been something that... By her? By well, anything. Anyone, anywhere. Anyone prior to her. Succubus and incubus have been around for eons. Well, like, I understand, but I so, mean, like, with them, like, doing their research and... No, no, like, this is the first, and he calls it his okay. Everest. Okay. He said this is... Everest, interesting. That's what he called it. Huh. Barry. The um, what about Carrie? I didn't ask Carrie. Go ahead. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> this whole time I thought Carrie was a female. To be honest, I did too. K e r r y Carrie, dude. And then you said he, and I was like, Yeah. Oh yes, I forget. This is oh, a yeah. unisex name. It's twenty twenty three. Listen, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Equal opportunity <Alrighty>. name. <laughs> so. Wow, you guys. <laughs> so, and she explains that, you know, it was the two smaller entities that held her down. Uh, the activity escalated more and more, and it started to involve the children in various ways, according to mm-hmm. Brian Harris. Now, remember, Brian Harris is Doris's son. He's over here. Okay. So, Brian Harris, um, he is describing that they were slapped. Uh, by an unseen hand they could feel the hand and feel it slap them but there's nobody there uh one of the boys and it didn't say which one was walking down the hallway and just flat walked into somebody that wasn't there just boom you know and stopped him cold in his tracks um but uh all three of the boys uh described their experience in the house as having been with a male spirit now, they had never seen a physical body other than the dark apparition and semi-transparent, but they knew it was a male. They just, they felt that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, according to Brian Harris, Doris's son, not long after moving in, Doris received a knock on the front door, and this is at her house on Braddock Street in Culver City. And she opens it, and 
there is this quote. There is, quote, she discovered an old Mexican lady, possibly in her 70s or 80s, who had come to deliver a message to the new occupants, end quote. He said, the woman told his mother, you need to get out. I used to live here in this old house back when it was just a farm. And I was a little girl then. There's something very evil here in this place. It is haunted and you need to get out. The woman just turned around and left without saying anything else. And a few months later, that's when everything started. I tell you what, if Abuelita comes up and tells you that the house is on and you need to get the hell out, <laughs> you need to do it. She Dude, knows. So she's saying, I was a little girl then, and she's 70, 80 years old now. And she said it was just a few months after that's when everything really started, you know, going downhill. Hmm. So it's like they were dormant for a while or something mm-hmm. until she came. So they wanted to point out that the that when they actually started investigating at this, that the uh, struggle snuggles stopped and no more of that occurred. And, That's good for her. Yeah, and I don't know why, but that it just did. And um, there was one time after that, though, that the uh, one of the sons uh, saw his mother being attacked. Are you tired? Mm-mm. Oh, you just look at your eyes are twenty. <laughs> Shit. Thanks, dear. I'm just saying. I appreciate you, you, you letting me know how I look. Maybe it's the slow blink that got me. I don't know. I'm anyway. pretending you're a cat. Oh, okay. Thank you. So this could have been something yeah. tied to the land. And that's interesting because I, the original inhabitants, well, I guess they were Squ- Squamish. I, inhabitants. I the native people, it says Cal, the native people were, just talk about Culver City, were mm-hmm. massacred by waves of Spanish, Mexican, and Euro-American invaders through a combination of slavery, disease, relocation, forced labor, imprisonment, broken treaties, and a genocidal war of extermination, including paid bounties for dead Indians. Wow. So that was pretty There's rough. a little stain there in Culver yeah, City. Yeah, just a little bit. Bloodshed. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, the his mother's getting slapped, getting hit. And the kid runs up and he tries to stop it and it knocks him across the room. In the movie, he breaks his arm when it's he's thrown over there. It didn't happen in real could life. Could he see this or he could just see his mother being slapped? He just could see his mother being slapped. They didn't see anything. This then was unseen. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So good and make you want to slap your mama. Mm, not in this way. <laughs> I know at one point they had said they had seen a shadow figure apparition. So I was curious if he could see that or if it was just one of those. Slapped and moved. Oh, just see the action of her. Yes. Moving. Yeah, he could see her being slapped. Couldn't see somebody physically doing it. Um. Anyway, so the bedroom was where a lot of this activity took place. And the very first night they went there, or I guess it would be the second night when they came back and they went into her bedroom. And as they were doing the investigation, walking through the house, and they said they walked in, and he, he said it was just like ice cold in this bedroom and this house had no AC in it. Mm-mm. So he said it was hot in the house, but when they walked in there, it was just like, Mm-mm. you know, they're like this. Bad news. So as they're in here and uh, investigating, mm-hmm. um, they start seeing these uh, balls of light. And these, these balls of light about the size of a human fist. And they were flying around the room, and they were so bright that they were actually illuminating the room and people within the room. 
so as well as the cameras, tripods, equipment, everything else. So these things had a, a light emanating from them. And he called them, not orbs, but he called them corpuscular masses. Of course he did. And corpuscular masses. Yeah, Are they flying in ballistic arcs as well? Joke checked out. Yeah, uh, corpuscular masses, and they were... Uh, the um, he thinks they were plasma. That's Barry's uh, assumption that they, there were these plasma balls. Mm-hmm. And so, what he found interesting was that what they could see with their naked eye, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. and they would try to take a picture of it and they couldn't get anything. Mm-hmm. But what they caught on camera, they never saw with the naked eye, which just feels spooky. <laughs> well, which begs to the question. Did they see it with their eyes, or did they see it with their mind? Mm. And it or the mind's eye, or the mind's eye. And it point there's so at one point they have twenty five to twenty eight people in this room, and they're all seeing these balls fly around, and they're trying to take pictures of them. There were a couple of pictures that were taken, and I will share them on the video. Uh, but one of them, it. Uh, it paints this arc over the top of uh, Doris while she's sitting on the bed. And what was really interesting about this is that this arc in the picture is taken in a corner. So you have a 90 degree, right? Mm -hmm. Which if you had a light shined across there, it would hit that 90 degree and then turn and go the other direction. Mm -hmm. So it didn't do that. It was across this corner so the light therefore is floating free in between the corner and the camera so he um he takes the the picture to the editor at uh i don't want to lie to you but it was um photography i forget i've lost the note somewhere but he takes it to Professional photography. The editor of that magazine, I believe, was the name of it. And I'll put the, I'll put it in the uh, the notes if I can find it later. But anyway, he takes it to him and he says, "Hey, dude." He said, "This particular camera uh, with this SLR lens." He said, "It would, the lens keeps it from taking pictures like that or having this effect with that arc in it." And there was another one that they had where there were two corresponding arcs. So you got one arc here and then one arc here. And they're like mirrored and they couldn't figure out why this was doing this so but they could see the arc with the naked eye no oh that no was they could see the photos. balls of light that's they all never, they could see okay, they okay. See i was arc. trying to follow too like what are they seeing with their eyes and you said the balls mm-hmm. but then the they couldn't catch it on camera right mm-hmm. but then in the camera they did catch these a couple of arcs, arcs. a couple of times but it's the he said he okay. likened it to if you had a stationary camera pointed at the stars all night, uh, an astronomical calendar, uh, a ca- uh, camera, uh-huh. you would see the trails, but you wouldn't see the individual stars. You would see the trails if you had a long exposure on the camera. I've seen photos like that long before in places like haunted places. You mean? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. So and then so you can was, see where the things have been. Yeah. You're thinking of a word, I guess. I'm thinking of, yeah, in places where there's supposed to be a portal, like, you'll see these weird tracer-like things in photographs I've seen in certain places. Yeah, it's it's crazy. So, 
the um, oh, it was uh, it was Adrian Vance is the one that they took it to, and Adrian was the um, let's see, I don't wanna, I've lost my place here. I apologize. Um, anyway, Adrian, the uh, he's the one that did the uh, the inspection of the photo. And he was saying that the lens on the SLR, uh, which they were using that night, the lens prohibits this type of image from occurring. Adrian asked Barry, did you see this? And Barry replied, no, we didn't see it. We didn't see the arcs. He said, we just saw the balls of lights. So it was really interesting. The, um, interesting. These if you balls, had modern equipment, you probably could have got the balls. Uh, you you might could have with a increased shutter rate, speed. Your well, shutter speed frame rate could have been faster. What does SLR video. stand for? I don't know. Single lens radiography. I was just I no freaking clue. I was <laughs> curious if y'all knew. So anyway, these balls are just things, the, they're the they're swimming around, they're diving and ducking, and at one point it gets so bad that these two assistants. Now remember, there's 25 people in this room. Two assistants that were there just to haul equipment and you know set up stuff pass out because they just they're so freaked out by this they just they kill passed out. Um, that would scare me to the point of. <laughs> and he described them but... as big old burly guys, so you know. Uh, oh, twenty five other people in the room. I wouldn't be that terrified. You would think. I mean, yeah, I mean, if they're hitting people in the head and like hurting them and stuff, maybe, but even then, I'm like, bye. I'm not pass it out. So, one of the problems (laughs) that they had, and they figured out that they don't know how fast these balls are moving. They don't know what direction they are because they're in a completely uh, black room. Because what they've done is they've come in with black poster board and they've duct taped it to every surface in the room. Uh, on the walls so that they can if they take a picture they've marked it with magnetic references so this wall is north this is east and that way you know they can tell where it's moving and in what direction um so anyway they did this so that they would have the the reference of it and the um but they're swimming around these guys pass out uh and all these people are seeing these balls at one point during the night, when they were in this one night on this investigation, these balls coalesce near Doris, just above her head to the right, and it forms, so hear me now, it forms, not illuminates, but forms a torso Mm-mm. of a man's head, nope. or a man's head, his upper shoulders, his torso, but nothing below that. And it was animated. It turned, it looked, and yeah. So then it just dissipates. Um, Skeptical about that. So 25 to 28 people in the room all documented that they saw this same thing. Um, They got everybody to write it down. They recorded it. So you could say, okay, maybe a couple of people hallucinated. Maybe a couple of people did some mushrooms before they went to this thing. It is the 70s. Sounds, sounds like it's the a 70s. whole thing. But like, 25, 28 mm-hmm. people, I mean. Yeah, come nobody can get this to happen now when they've got 
well, HD video cameras. Dude, they brought in, all the they brought in high speed cameras and filmed rather than just taking pictures. They came in and filmed with high speed cameras. This wasn't a, a shake and bake dude from you know that lived in troop going out and ghost hunting. Shake and bake. <laughs> no, this is so what I'm saying is this is a legitimate psychology department mm-hmm. from UCLA, a prestigious school, sending their people out to study. And Dr. Moss even came out one day. You know, the whole head of the, the psychology department for parapsychology. Delma. And so she comes out. And so, but my point is, this is these are legitimate people that are going out and they're seeing this. So it's not just people just making up stuff, I don't think. And everybody saw the same thing. Um, so they, you couldn't really say that they're all just hallucinating. And... But then again, like I said, is it the mind's eye that saw it or what what happened? Because they could they could see it. All of them saw it, but they couldn't catch it on camera, which I think is interesting. Hmm. Is it strong enough to get in everybody's mind? There you go. Mm-hmm. Is it? Yeah, that's the They that's needed the thing. those uh, XLS things. Like. If it's strong enough to do a struggle snuggle. And, and flares. Which, do you think it's the same homie that's like, you Well, that's will my see thing, me. too. No. I know. Because if she was experiencing some things before she got to the house, what was connected to the house versus what was connected to her? That's been my question this mm-hmm. whole time. So, they, uh, Doris calls him back out. It was uh, a few nights later. She calls him back out to the house, and all of the poster board, the black poster board, had been ripped off the walls. Um, some of the duct tape, some of the paint, some of the plaster had been pulled off the walls with the duct tape. So, I mean, it was really stuck up there. It wasn't just like, oh, we kind of stuck it up there. Some masking tape or something. They stuck it up there with duct tape and literally pulled the paint off the wall when they pulled, when it pulled this down. And they get out there and she, um, she's saying, hey, you know, I came in here and they don't, of course she could have done it. Mm -hmm. They don't think she did. She said because she seemed like she had been traumatized by this. Or her kids. Could have been her kids. It could have been anyone that had did, done it, but right. so they put it all back. They put up. They put new poster board up, new tape, and while they're sitting there filming, one of the boards flies off the wall and hits Doris in the head. Hmm. Dang it! And so Carrie, <laughs> and then after the board flies off, you can see the tape, and it looks like somebody has grabbed the tape in their hand. And is pulling the tape down Mm-mm. off the wall. See, now this is where I'm going to start to maybe pass out at this point. So Carrie says... <laughs> not not the balls, but... Carrie <laughs> says, do it again. And it does it again. Here comes another piece But of don't hit board. old Doris in the head, though. Huh? Did somebody turn on a film Dor- camera while this was <laughs> happening? So the- I think they had... Uh, my understanding is they had just shown up when they walked in there and they put it back up and this happened. So anyway, and even if they did, they're not catching it. But they probably would have caught the cardboard. Are you already caught yeah. the poster board being peeled off the wall? Okay. So some of the equipment that they brought in, um, they brought in high speed film, high speed cameras. Um, they also brought in a Geiger counter. Okay. Uh, Along with that, they brought in from, I think it was Hewlett Packard had at the time, mm-hmm. had created something called a sniffer. HP. And okay. it was a, well, they didn't just always do keyboards and things like that. 
So my other laptops in HP. Yeah. yeah. Gonna, so, gonna say a sniffer. so they brought in this sniffer and this My sni- sniffer is a Sony. <laughs> so this sniffer was a device that could detect scents and oh, like a dog, but it, you know it's got this, you know, kind of like a precursor to the thing that, that they the, use for the bomb airport. detections yeah. and yeah, when they exactly. It. And that's where it started was back then. So they brought in this sniffer. They couldn't figure out what the smell was. It didn't pick up anything. Everybody there goes, oh, my God, it smells like rotting flesh. But the sniffer couldn't pick it up. This electronic device could not pick it up. So the Geiger counter. The Geiger counter, when there was activity going on, would be at zero. It was just flat bottom line. Okay? But... When no activity was happening, it was at normal background residual radiation. That's odd. Yeah. You would expect that it would go the other, the other way, way, but it didn't. It went just the opposite. It, would, it would drop it, to zero. I mean, normally I would think paranormal activity would change the radiation levels at all. Up or down. EMF, yeah. Well, that's radiation. Well, I guess that's why it's, you would use a Geiger counter because yeah. they didn't have K2s back then. So Geiger counter, Geiger counter drops to zero when there's activity. When there's no activity, it comes up. Right. Okay. Uh, they brought in these thermal sensors, also known as a thermometer, but fancier. <laughs> so was it was it was it a rectal or oral or a axillary? Axillary. Yeah. I don't know. Did they get thermal readings? They. No, they did not. They literally could see their breath. They could feel the cold. And this was in the days before the little laser thermometers. You could, but they had a thermal sensor, and thermal sensor picks up no change. And flares, no flares in 1974. See, no, there was not. Uh, just couldn't register it. In which I thought was really strange that you can see your breath, but yet a random thermometer that's tangible can't pick it up right interesting what was it showing like a normal temperature mm-hmm. normal room temperature the um it's crazy it said you could smell these things you could smell that rot and the sniffer couldn't pick it up could pick up anything else you know but it didn't pick up anything there and everybody rot. smelled these things not just these parapsychologists yeah. i yep. would bet that the sniffer somehow checked for microscopic particles which is what you're smelling is actual pieces Particles, of what yeah. you're smelling. Where if this is knows. not physical. But if it's not physical, is metaphysical, there are no particles that it'll pick for the up. to pick up. Yeah, that's true. But that still doesn't explain the thermal. Because cold, I mean, that's pretty, your breath is shown when it's cold. What if That's this, not metaphysical. What if this thing, whatever it is, is imposing the thought on you that it's cold? That won't make your breath maybe so you're imagining that you see your breath and everybody maybe, else maybe you are hallucinating because it's forcing that hallucination on you could probably got more with 2023 technology with uh, and even barry said flare that flare cameras and, and yeah, he uh, said if we went in there today stuff. so anyway this is uh the investigation goes on for about 10 weeks and it was at that time that doris had gathered enough money and she ended up moving um moving out of Culver City to Carson. Um, Barry and Carrie uh, lost track uh, of her at that time. Uh, They were able to hunt her down. 
uh, with the help of Frank D. Falletta. Now, mm. Frank D. Falletta was Frankie D. Frankie <laughs> D. became the. I think he was the author for. He was the screenwriter for the film, if I'm not mistaken. He was the screenwriter for the film. He also wrote the novel, The Entity, but he also wrote, uh, I think, Amber Rose or something like that. Uh, I'd be curious to know if when she left, if whatever had taken that she did experience before she got to the house left with her, too. We're getting to that. Oh. So when they caught up with Doris, uh, they found that the this there were two houses adjacent to her house. And when they catch back up to her at Carson, uh, that the two houses adjacent to her were also experiencing psychokinetic uh, activity. So, poltergeist stuff. uh, Doors slamming, garbage being dumped on the floor, uh, electronic devices turning on and off. It was almost like there was this radiant effect from her house they started after she moved there yes started after oh, no. she moved I'd be there like, Who's this so this get thing, out this thing followed her uh so they begin they began investigating at the new house and during one of the initial investigations at the new home there was a vase that flew across the floor and into the middle of the floor filling the the uh was it a vase the or a vase? i knew this was coming <laughs> I don't know, John. Is it a foyer or a foyer? Depending on her background, it sounds like it was a vase. It doesn't sound like she had the money to support <laughs> it's a true. Yeah, That's she true. Couldn't, <laughs> she couldn't have afforded a vase. As a flower pot. Yeah, as a flower pot. That's what and it was. And it's definitely a foyer. So, uh, oh, that's tacky, but probably true. So the... Inside porch. Yeah. <laughs> porch. Oh, my God. I've never heard that. That's a good one. Okay, like so... That. Inside porch. <laughs> you have the outside porch and the inside yep. porch? Okay. Yep, yep, yep. Got Granny from the Beverly Hillbillies over here. <laughs> Next we'll be talking about the cement pond the out cement back. cement pond, yeah. Okay, so this thing smashes in the floor. They get out their microphone that they just happen to have in their pocket, I'm sure, because they're doing an investigation. But uh, had a condenser mic on it, and they could hear this breathing, and it was a very heavy breathing. And he describes it in in an interview that I saw with him and he's like, <sighs> like that, you know, so a ghost with COPD. I guess so. <laughs> but don't they all? <laughs> or he needs one of those things. Like he's a CPAP. CPAP. So here's the weird part. Though. What time Shit. of day was it? Here's the weird part. <laughs> God, guys. So there was this combination that, that they heard audibly through their ears and they caught on the recording was this step, step, drag. Mm -mm. Step, step, drag in repetition. And they heard it several times. So they were picking up something in this new house. Um, So towards the end of the investigation at Carson, there was one night when they had, uh, it's when the the poster board was pulled off the wall and thrown there. So that that actually happened at, at Carson. And it was shortly after that that Doris moved out of there. And uh, very shortly after that, Doris moved to San Bernardino. And Barry and uh, Carrie didn't follow her then. Um, They let her be. Um, Did not continue the investigation after that. So that was the last I heard of her. And it wasn't until later um, that they found out she had ended up moving to Texas. Oh, she brought that shit here. 
She moved to moved to Texas. Damn. So that's a, that's a bit weird. Baby. So it's when big state. One nice thing is that when she moved to San Bernardino, the uh, manifestation started subsiding. There. How do they know that? Uh, because Frank DiFaletta, the guy who um, had been working with these guys and with Doris to write this book, uh, found out from her that it had started subsiding. So they kind of lost track of her. Now, Faletta had reached out to Barry and Carrie many times during the time he was writing the book and um, asking him to be a resource for the movie as a technical advisor, et cetera, uh, for the movie. And um, that he told him that she had moved to Texas, um, never saw her again until the screening of the movie, The Entity. And that was the last time uh, Barry or Carrie saw um, I never said George any, where in Texas. He, they I mean, did that's, not that's, say. That's and, like saying she moved to Europe. I mean, it's, yeah, <laughs> but we know from the the history of the investigation that Doris is very private. Right. So it could be that she doesn't want anybody knowing or didn't want anybody knowing. Um, I bet she got some money. Well, according to Wikipedia... The Entity is a 1982 American supernatural horror film directed by Sidney J. Fury and written by Frank Frankie D. Felita. Frankie D. Adapted his 1978 novel of the same name. Uh, the film stars Barbara Hershey. Uh, like and Ron the, Silver, as we've discussed. Huh? And Ron, Ron Silver. Silver was in it. Uh, Barbara Hershey plays the character. Now, this is an adaptation of, mm. so it's not a, a documentary. So, she, her name is not Doris. It's not Doris in the movie. It's something it's else. Carla, I, forget. I believe. Dorothy. Carla, I think. Oh, Carla? oh dang. Okay. I wanted it oh, to be so. so <laughs> but like the novel, the film based on the 1974 case of Doris by there, a woman who claimed to have been repeatedly yeah, sexually assaulted by an invisible entity and who was observed by doctoral students at the University of California, Los Angeles. I hope she made some money. Uh, despite being filmed and for release in 1981, the movie was not released worldwide in worldwide theaters until September 82, um, and then February 83 specifically in the U.S. And the last part here is unconfirmed, but this was from Brian Harris, her son. Uh, Doors passed away in 1995. I'd want to know. So I saw it on. Um VHS, I'm sure, from Blockbuster or whatever local video store back in the 80s. I don't know if you I don't Hastings. remember. Hastings. I remember. That was Blockbuster. Uh, Hastings. I did a lot of Hastings. I was say, I'm sure you know right Hastings. That's house. local. The old Hastings yeah. was right there, right? Um, it's now Sprouts. Yep. Mm. Well, yeah, you're right. It is. Yeah. Here's something. So, we're talking about Culver City, where this was. This could mm-hmm. be a land thing. Not only is this this horrific history there, but it doesn't stop. So, Culver City officially founded in 1917 mm-hmm. as a uh, sundown town Uh-oh. and advertised as this model little white city. Cute. <laughs> also, exclude restricted lot sales to Caucasian race and ex. And at times excluded people of non-Christian religious faith. Interesting. So this is land with a long history of Native Americans. And before that, it was part of, it was Rancho La Bayona, 
which was a land grant by the Mexican government to ranchers. There are many generations. It was to the families Machado and uh, Talamentes. And there are many generations of Machado and Talamentes families buried in cemeteries there. So that explains Abuelita. I don't understand. But didn't she move What's funny? from a prior house until... Abuelita Did they move the... <laughs> So she I don't know. Was that her existing or did they just move the headstones? Did, did, the, did they this, just move the headstones? Is this so uh, poltergeist or something? That's what I'm That's saying. What I'm I mean, you've got Eek. you've got stain this Native American stuff. You've got you've got generations of these uh, of uh, these Mexican families that are buried there, and then all of a sudden the place is a, a subdivision, a whites only subdivision. <laughs> so the yeah, I mean, did, so the, you've got the stain on the land. For sure. So, and I've watched several interviews with uh, Dr. Taff, and he was talking about, he said that in nearly every instance when there is a poltergeist-type uh, haunting, he said it's going to be female, it's going to be somebody with epilepsy. Hmm. So they have epileptic tendencies or symptoms. Um, they got fits. Well, not necessarily. That's the thing. He said, you could be epileptic and never have a seizure. You know? If it's controlled. Yeah. So, or nothing's ever set it off, like flashing lights or, you know, something like that. Balls flying around. Do we know if Doris had any of that? (laughs) Do we know if Doris had that? No, they don't know. Um, But this is... But Dylan made a good point. And what was that? Well, she, with... um, with Doris, she was experiencing these instances where she was living prior to moving to the Right, home. exactly. And then she was warned from the lady visiting her saying, mm-hmm. like, I've been experiencing this since I was a little girl. So where was she prior? Uh, exactly. So in, so think this is the way I think about it. Okay, so let's say you have, let's say you have a match, okay? Mm-hmm. And this match is just a match. It's not very combustible i mean it's just a little bitty flame right here but if you take it and put it in the another environment like a place where the land is stained and and hated and okay okay, or if you take that match and move it into a room full of gasoline with gas fumes everywhere guess what boom you have this huge explosion maybe that's what happened with doris doris is doris is already open to the ability to have these experiences right Mm -hmm. and she is being affected by this thing, you know, by whatever's haunting her. And then it gets into this place that is supercharged with negative energy. Amplified. Amplified. Now, you, not only that, you change the situation. Doris was, let's say Doris was okay and she was making it until she got to this breaking point. Until she wasn't. Mm-hmm. Until she wasn't. Mm-hmm. And then, now, not only do you have this thing that's attached to her, and you've got the supercharged negative energy that's coming up out of this place. And on top of that, you take that Doris is, Doris is depressed. Mm-hmm. And Doris is... A drunk. Yes. Well, don't be well, judgy. But, uh, <laughs> Fine, she drinks so a lot. Doris is she's, drinking she's a lot. She's in a liminal state. She's a lush at times. She is a... 
She's on the fringe of society. She's living in a house. She's got addiction issues. She's got some financial issues. Dude, she's, she's got it all going down. I mean, the world has taken a great big massive defecation right on top of her. <laughs> okay? So, so and you take all of that and you add that to it. Mm-hmm. So now you've got now you've got the match and you've got the gas and and then you take these parapsychologists that don't believe her and think she's got psych issues. So then they're like, hey, you should go see somebody. Well, no. I mean, as far as they they actually did try to help her, though, because they thought she was, they no, thought she had but psych issues. I get issues. that. But I'm just saying, in her mind, you're compounding all of these things. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, not only do I have all this going on, these mm-hmm. guys don't even believe me. I'm finally open to it. I'm a closed off okay. person. I don't even tell right. you. And then now you don't even believe me. Right. So I think that possibly, maybe... It could have been that she already had issues. She got into this place, and then it just exploded. She, she okay. Got a and Ouija then, board and then that's what I say. Where's that, the Ouija board? Yeah, there's no Ouija board. That, there's no story. Ouija board in this. First to one. support that, when she moved to Carson from Culver City, when she moved to Carson, they subsided a little bit. When she moved, uh, where was the name? San Bernardino. San Bernardino. It dropped down even less. And then by the time she gets into Texas, well, man, she's got a movie deal going on. She's going to have some money. San Bernardino, you're already a pretty good ways from L.A. now. Well, when she moved to Carson, it went to the neighbors. It did. So, but my point. She's just spreading it out. My point is that as she gets away, though, the bad things that were happening before aren't quite as bad. (coughs) So, maybe. You know, that's what it is. The further away she gets from that hot spot that she was in. True. You know, by the time she got to Texas, now she's got money because she's got a movie deal. Right. You know, she's got no reason to be depressed. You know, so at the end of everything, parapsychologist Barry Carey, what did they, did they write anything? Did they publish anything? Oh, yeah. yeah. And they determined that it is truly haunted. Did they? That I mean, was his Everest. Yeah, you're right. That's that was his said. Everest. He, did he get his PhD? He four thousand something cases, paranormal cases. He did, and yes, he did get his PhD. So he truly believed in all of this. That for her, she was there was truly a poltergeist there. I he. I mean, the poster board with the tape talk alone about it, for me is when you listen to him talk about it. I don't think that he necessarily thinks that it was a demonic force or anything. I think from just what I've gleaned from listening to him, I think he believes. That she was the cause and the catalyst for this stuff happening. Like in a lot of poltergeist, poltergeist cases, you know, you've got a house where you got all this stuff going on and you take the, the teenage female out of the house and it stops because it's that energy. Mm-hmm. Or the, how you've said in your personal experiences be before in the previous house, in your previous marriage, that you think it was the marital strife going on. I think that had that a lot. That caused a lot of a lot the negative that. energy mm-hmm. that was in. That happened yeah. to me, too. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, yeah. You said the same thing. We experienced the same thing. Yeah, bitches so, be tripping. <laughs> as he said. My God. As we get canceled by every female that's ever listened to us. The, uh, but, no, I think that uh, that's what, if you listen to him, that he kind of leans towards that, that it's actually somehow she's creating these things around her well thankfully they they didn't ever they never called a, the warrens or a priest or anything mm-hmm. they didn't play that game no that's why so, i say this is one of the most well documented cases and um 
it's not there's no there's no demonologist there's no Ouija boards there's no there actually there was a psychic involved but it was oh one I thought of, he was gonna say actually there was a Ouija board but I just didn't no, talk no, no, about no, no, it no there was a person who was a psychic and right. the psychic was one of Doris's friends Shelly Winters wait didn't she play a Delma uh, oh, okay. That was Dr. Ross's Thelma? friend. Yeah, Thelma's friend is Thelma. It is. Doris's friend. Oh, Doris. Doris's friend okay. is a psychic. I thought it was Thelma's friend. I'm sorry. I was following. John's not following. Somebody's not tracking. I got, you're going to have to demo the imp. I'm going to have to put, I'm going to yeah, make see, a video. Be, okay. okay, next podcast, I'm going to set up a Vizio for you before Thel- we start. We need a flow chart of need, uh, all Thel- the. This is Thelma. We need a, a whiteboard. To set up so that we can Picture. sketch it out. Yeah, so yeah. we can sketch it yeah. out. Yeah. In all of our An defenses, though, dear, this story had more names than I think had a lot of names thrown at us were, at one time. Word, there were a lot of words in that story. <laughs> Randy, Candy, Sandy. 3,800 change. I'm just saying, no, I mean, when you're talking about Barry and Carrie and Ross and... It sounds like the Von Eric. I don't know like if Rachel listed. was in there, Monica, maybe. I'm not sure, uh, but... Oh, my soon. God. But anyway, I you know, was thinking I'm, I was thinking Von Eric too. Carrie Von Eric, <laughs> Carrie Barry Von Eric. I went to friends. Kevin Carrie and okay, I want to see that movie. There's a, the other a, a new Von Eric movie. It's Kevin. Out, it's Kevin uh, Carrie and Zach Efron is. Playing. <laughs> I forget this the is other what one. I do with them Kevin, sometimes. I think. Anyway, nothing to do with. She's it making fun because she doesn't know what we're talking about. No, nope. we both. But we both old school. Lost. Hey, Iron Claw baby. Fritz with the. Claw. But speaking of oh. wanting to see, I would like to see this movie. Okay, so, so I we'll need have to, to find it on okay, the Okay, so here's the, the thing. DVD. If you want this movie... Mm-hmm. I got to go to Amazon. We got to go to Amazon and buy it because... Or I guess probably eBay. I guess you could maybe Physical see it. media. Like it's like yeah. it's I'm going to tell you, it's not... Gonna have to, I am going to have to blow the dust off the DVD player <laughs> so that we can watch this because... I don't even know. Yeah, the batteries are probably all rotted in my Blu-ray players. Oh, man. It, so. So, batteries? In the remote. remote. In the remote. Oh, I was like, why do you have batteries it's in been your years since I've... <laughs> Oh is it God. like a Walkman? Like, no. Discman? I still, I have a Discman. Do you? I, do. I still found, I have a Game Boy, the original. Um, the gray. Do you know how? With that purple button. I'm going to tell you how poor I was. I didn't even have a Walkman. You know what I had? I had a Murray High Stepper. Huh? No, but you did have an Atari. M-U-R-A, Murray was the name of the, the company, and it was a knockoff of the Walkman. So it was a Mure. It's like the high stepper. H I Hisense TV or any of those yeah. like offshoot yeah, TVs that's that you exactly see now. Yeah, exactly what it was. Yeah, but it was I mean, cheaper than the wall. But you had an I mean, Atari I had a transistor radio and some of the big headphones I've back in the seventies. Heard some songs about transistor radio. <laughs> the seventies were great, man. Except for you had all Radio the Shack hauntings. And stuff. Oh, yeah. Radio Shack gives me the. Ugh, I can't stay in Radio Shack. There, well, you'd be glad to know that I'm pretty sure they're completely out of business. Yeah, they're completely so. out of business. I, there was something about that store that every time I was like, ooh, heebie-jeebies. Didn't he, like I it. I loved it. It was right next to All GIC. Right. Anyway. So we beat the hell out of this one. <laughs> Listen, this, this this is one of those situations though, that I wish Blockbuster was still around. So, so you could be like, go hey, well, we gonna go check that out. There is one left. That's right. In Oregon. In Oregon. Is it really? Yep. I was going to say Ohio. Oh, wow. Wrong O state. And then Oregon. It's Oregon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is wow, it like a franchise crazy. like privately owned that kept the name? 
No, it's like an original blockbuster. It's the only surviving blockbuster video. Mm-hmm. I love that. Ours is an Einstein Bagels, I think. Here, like, the one in time. I didn't even move here when Blockbuster was even yeah. a thing. It's anymore. where Einstein Brothers is. The last okay. I remember is where Hastings <laughs> was. <laughs> Hastings okay. still had the renting stuff. Yeah. What did we drink tonight? Fortaleza. Did we like it? It was Hell good. Yeah, we loved it. And who did we talk about? Doris and Doris. Barry. Doris, Doris, Doris Byther. Carrie Fritz. Brian. The Entity Eric, movie the Entity in 1982. Movie. Okay. So remember to go to all the places and subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Thank you for joining us, Dylan. Thank you for having us. Thank you for joining us, Did you Dylan. have fun? Thank I you. did. You'll have, you have to fun? come more often. Yeah. yeah. We like having friends. Right. Good night, everyone. Night, night. Hasta luego. Did you say hasta Winnebago? Hasta Winnebago. <laughs> <laughs> I want a bago. Lumbago, which is actually, is that even how you're supposed to say it? I think it's Lumbago, isn't it? I, if, not if you're saying hasta Lumbago, you say hasta Lumbago. I don't know, that's the way it was in the, in the book.